Welcome to the Raptors show on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. A reminder, we're streaming live on Sportsnet's YouTube channel and airing live on Sportsnet 360, Monday to Friday from 2 to 3 p.m. I'm your host, William Liu. All right, so this is what we're going to do today. Uh, for the first segment, I wanted to bring you some insight into Otto Porter Jr., who was officially announced as a signing on Wednesday afternoon. Reporters were invited down to the OVO practice facility uh, for the introductory press conference, and the Raptor show was granted an exclusive. So uh, here is my conversation with Otto Porter Jr. All right, joining us on the Raptor show, we're here with the newest member of the Toronto Raptors, Otto Porter Jr. First off, congratulations uh, on the new deal, but also, man, congratulations on the championship. Appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I, know, I, I will spare you from the, I guess you probably won't give me all the honest details about how hard you guys went and all that stuff, but I'm sure you guys had a great time. It Was there an mm-hmm. MVP of the Warriors championship celebration? Because I don't know if you remember... <laughs> Marcus all during this championship tour, there was like a five-hour parade. The parade was very poorly planned, and like hour four. Somewhere here, right? Yeah, yeah, I don't know if you saw the clip. He like drank an entire bottle of wine, yeah. and then like, yeah. So he was about <laughs> to fall off the bus essentially. So was oh, there he fell like, off the bus. No, almost. Oh, almost. So somebody was there to help Woo. him, but he was uh, he was a little too drunk to speak at the end. We'll say that much. Oh, so they they got the chance to speak at the end of yeah. it, huh? We spoke at the beginning of it. That's smart. That's very <laughs> smart, man. The speeches at the end were not coherent sometimes. Yeah. Uh, for a reason. Yeah. So there's no MVP or? No. Uh, yeah, probably Clay. Clay. <laughs> Clay. Yeah, I saw that you guys got off the bus, some people, and like started like high-fiving fans on the street. That was, yeah, I that was so really cool. I was actually with Clay. I was on the last bus. Okay, okay. And the last bus was, they say, was the best bus because... The city literally jumped over the the barricades and filled the streets behind the bus. Wow. And the scene, I think Clay got a picture of holding the trophy up with the fans in the background down the street, which is, like, really dope. Awesome. Um, but, yeah, I think Clay got the MVP. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. No, seriously, it was really fun to watch you guys win the title. Now, listen, um, before we talk, like, actual basketball, I kind of wanted to let the listeners get to know you a little bit. So I was doing some research on this. Tell me about Morley, Missouri, which when I Googled for this interview, it said that the population of this town is 697 people. Oh, 700 people, yep. Yeah. So what was, like up, huh? what was it like growing up? What was it like growing up? I think I moved there when I was in like sixth grade. I moved closer back to my uh, my dad's family, which and my mom's family. But uh, yeah, small. We lived on the outside of the city, city limits really. Um, five acres of land, mm. rural. Went to a small public school. Um, just did normal stuff. I heard your graduating class had thirty-two people in it. 33. 33? Yeah. Wow. I also saw that you were uh, you were the, the president of the history club, but I'm going to ask you about that a little bit later <laughs> on, actually. I did a lot of research on this. But so it seems like you come from, like, basketball, like, royalty, especially out there, right? Like Yeah, where I'm from, yeah, both fi- families, yeah. Yeah, like, literally everybody won the state championship at some point, basically, in your family. There was, like, cousins. I saw your dad, like, uncles. Yeah, so, like, my dad is, sides. has a lot of siblings, and my mom does, too. Yeah. And uh, and everybody played basketball. Right. It's now, crazy. I also read that you grabbed something like 35 rebounds in a state 
championship game. Is that correct? Yeah, junior year. Yep. And I broke one of your family's records. My dad's record. So yeah, what was that his, conversation his, like? And his record was twenty five. What? Okay. I I, I heard <laughs> I, I the report that I saw. Obviously, I didn't watch this game. I you know I was yeah. reading the stories. Yeah. Report says the coach came in at halftime, looked at the box score, and said. Does Otto really have 22 rebounds right now at halftime? Yeah, it was one of our guys that was keeping books. Yeah. But the crazy thing is he didn't even tell me. Okay. So I, I had no idea. Okay, fair enough. He probably I didn't you. know until, like, maybe, like, in the fourth quarter something. He was like, you got 30 rebounds. I said, huh? That's pretty good. Well. That's pretty good. <laughs> to beat your dad's record by, like, 10 rebounds is, is incredible. All right. Um, I also read that you kind of avoided the AAU circuit, right? Like, a lot of players nowadays, especially, like, you know, that's they, that's where they get discovered. You know, people know you from, like, 14, 15. You kind of just train with your family for the most part. Uh, Yeah. I was actually supposed to play AAU my senior year okay. with the St. Louis Eagles with Bradley Bill and Ben McLemore. I was supposed to play with them, but my dad got sick, and so I couldn't travel during okay. the summertime because I had to take care of things back at home. So right. I didn't end up playing, but I still was training and, and doing stuff to get ready for my senior year. Right. Well, listen, in terms of the training, um, yeah. so one of the main reasons you've been such a successful player in the NBA is because you're a really good three-point shooter. And from my research, that was your mom who kind of taught you. At least yeah. your mom, based on the articles I read, she claimed a lot of the, the success yeah, for this. Yeah, so, so, like, it's crazy because my dad couldn't really shoot <laughs> Okay. back in the day. So my mom, <laughs> crazy, she was a really good shooter. Uh-huh. In high school, and she actually won them a state championship. Mm. She hit a corner buzzer beater three to to win a state championship. So wow. she's basically the one that taught me how to shoot f- from a young age. So what was that? What was that process like? Because I'm almost curious, like what kind of work goes into that? I've read some stories about how you know there's like a paved driveway, and like you know it's nighttime, but there's like one single light, and you're like shooting In the tree, shots. Yeah. That was actually, that sounds like a movie scene, you know what I'm saying? But no, yeah, that was actually outside my grandma's house. Okay, actually, we put a tree, we put a, a light, a stoplight in the tree, so that we can play in the nighttime. Mm. Uh, we didn't have to go in, so it was just something. You know, you go to grandma's house and all your cousins go, yeah. and yeah. we'd be outside all night playing basketball. So that's beautiful, man. Well, listen, you know, you you have this upbringing. You make it to the league, third overall pick. You make your debut as a 20-year-old. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, first year probably didn't go as well as you probably wanted it to. I mm-hmm. think I read that you uh, picked up, like, an injury in training camp that kind of knocked you out a little bit. But yeah. just what was your rookie year like, and what was that transition like, you know, making it to the pros that quickly and having that quick of a rise, but then getting off to a bit of a slow start? Yeah, it was it was unfortunate um, that I had that injury. It kind of set me back mm-hmm. a year. Um, and then our team actually made the playoffs that year yeah, yeah. for the first time in a while. So it was just me getting to see that and get that experience up front and, and see what it was like to be a professional and see how a day-to-day basis goes. So right. it, that first year it really taught me a lot, um, and it prepared me for that second year. Now, speaking of that second year, I didn't really want to ask about this because as a Raptor fan, that was quite painful. I think that was 2015. Wizards versus the Raptors. I'm pretty sure you guys swept the Raptors. We did. We came uh, here and got game one and game two. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, there was like a Gravis Vasquez hit a three, did a little shimmy, sent it to overtime, but then the Raptors still lost. That's yeah. unfortunate. But I know that was like a big breakout year for you in terms of like having that, that playoffs. Role. Yeah. yeah. So talk well, I, about I did not expect to play that much okay. that year in the playoffs. Um, and then 
for whatever reason, we went play small ball. Yeah. And I was in, and only had one thing to do that like my thing and that was to guard Demar. Yeah, and that's that, right. And that was my main focus. I wasn't really focused on scoring. I wasn't focused on this. Like, yeah. That was my assignment. And guarding him, I tell everybody, guarding him in the playoffs got me to where I'm at now. Like being able to guard him and and that got that solidified me to where I became a starter and then the rest is history. Right. Wow. I didn't see. I didn't know that. That's yeah. that, that's really good. And honestly, those teams that you had with the Wizards were really memorable. Yeah. Paul Pierce that year. I know he yeah. he was a thorn in the Raptors side. <laughs> he knocked us out two years, two in, a years in a row. Two years in a row. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, but even still, like you know, that team really came up and grew up together, right? Yeah. And obviously, you guys had that great run in 2017. Was that the year John hit the the shot and then he like jumped on the table? That was against Boston. Yeah. Semifinals. Yeah. Yeah. Look, yeah. it was a really really talented team. Yeah. But. You know, after that run, and you had a really great playoff run, um, you know, you signed the max contract, right? Mm-hmm. I think Brooklyn made you the offer, and then Washington yeah. matched. Yeah. How do expectations change as a player for you? Like, I mean, being a max player, you know, there's a lot of responsibility yeah. um, to to bring it every night. You know, mm-hmm. you, you carry that getting paid. You carry that, that weight. And so, um, which, you know, it was fine. But, you know, um being in DC, just it, it was it was fun because I went to school there, so okay. yeah, right. I was around home crowd, fan base, and I really do love DC. It, mm-hmm. was, it was really fun. Right now, um, the year after that, 2018, you guys ended up playing the Raptors again, right? Yeah. First round. Now, a lot of the guys have moved on from both teams, really, but mm-hmm. you still have Pascal and Fred, right? And do you? What do you make of the difference in them as players from 2018 to where they are now? But they grew a lot. They yeah. grew a lot here playing here. Um, they ended up winning the championship in 2019. Yep. yep. So they have a ring, and they, they've been there and done it. Um, and they're now like vets on, mm-hmm. on the team. You know, they were the young guys, and now they're the vets. And they've been playing together for a long time. So uh, to come and play with those guys – um, it's gonna be fun. It's gonna be. Uh, it's gonna be a great year. It will be, man. And listen, you know, we were just talking about this at the press conference. The Raptors have like ten guys, essentially, who are big wings, seven foot wingspans. You know, six seven, six ten. Yeah. Range. Do you see a similarity between like what the Raptors are built versus a team like Boston that you guys just beat in the finals? Uh, yeah, because they're they're very big team. Mm-hmm. You know, so. Um, I think some teams are trending that way. Right. A lot of guys that can play multiple positions, right? Uh, which is an advantage. That is an advantage, and you know, defensively, even bigger advantage. You can switch everything. Everybody can guard every position. Mm-hmm. So um, that that is that's a fun team to play for. Yeah, no doubt, man. I'm really interested to see what you guys can do on both sides of the floor. Now I'm getting the wrap up signal, so I'm going to move to some rapid fire. I read that as a kid, you wanted to be Allen Iverson. Uh, so yeah. what was it about AI that you admired, and also how cool was it that you got to go to? Yeah, Georgetown? I mean, before I hit a growth spurt, I think everybody <laughs> oh, you who were I'm AI from okay, okay. was AI. You know, okay. what, I was a point guard. You uh-huh, know, uh-huh. it's funny because one summer I went from being the point guard to center because I grew so fast. What was the growth summer. spurt? Uh, I was like five eight, and I grew to six two. Jeez. One summer. So okay, one summer. Wow. One summer, which mm-hmm. is crazy. So yeah, I was Iverson. Had a big influence on my game, yeah. you know, him being the MVP 
and watching all the the hoop tape hoop mix highlights and yeah. crossover mixtapes and all that. It was just given. So is that why you went to Georgetown? That was a, a, another reason why I wanted okay. to go to Georgetown. Yep. Fair enough. Um, you, I also read that you're president of the History Club. I mentioned this earlier. Uh, you were also the salutatorian at your school. Salute uh, Victorian, yeah. So, yeah, what was your favorite aspect of studying history, man? Uh, I don't know. I just really had a knack for history, which was a big reason why I went to D.C. Mm, right. All the history around. It Absolutely. Was, it was amazing. So, um, no, I always had a knack for history being, in, you know, president of a history club. So, mm-hmm. um no, I just had a. I just love history. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Um, now in Chicago, I read that you and Thad Young uh, were co-captains of the team at one point. Is that true? Yeah, yeah. What we did were, that mean? I mean, we were the vets, so you okay. know. Um, and to lead a young guy, so we were the, the vets, and everybody else was like twenty, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one years old, twenty-two. Yeah. It might be like this Zach on this team. Being, I'm not gonna lie. You know, at one point, Zach Levine was a vet. He was only like twenty-five at yeah, the time. Yeah. You know what I'm right, saying? So right. that's how young that team was when me and Thad was there. So um, we we were we was there. Um, I mean, we had a good time. We yeah. had a good time, but we taught them a lot. We taught them a lot. Right. Um, now, last question. I also heard that you're big into cars and stuff. So t- tell us about that. What do you do? Uh, I don't do anything. I just love cars. I, I've okay. been around them my whole life. I always thought, even before, you know, going off to school and being an MBA, that I was going to be a car mechanic easily. Like, oh, okay. That was a passion of mine. It still is, you know. Yeah. Um, one day I will open up my own garage. You know, so that's cool. Uh, yeah. What's the coolest car you got? What's your favorite? What's my favorite? Yeah. My favorite car right now that I have is my Nissan GTR. Okay. Um, and then my second favorite is my uh, my '69 Chrysler Roadrunner Plymouth. Damn. So that sounds nice. All right. Well, listen, Auto. Appreciate you. Thank you for your time. No, thanks for Welcome having to me. Toronto. Appreciate it. And uh, yeah, let's go. I mean, I can't Let's wait go to win see. The championship, Let's man. go win the championship. You took the words out of my <laughs> mouth, man. I was going to say that, but you said it instead. So thank you. Seriously. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. That was our interview with uh, Otto Porter Jr. of the Toronto Raptors. Um, yeah. Uh, I thought, first off, like, uh, for me, I just kind of wanted to get to know him a little bit better. Um, you know, usually when I do prep for these interviews, I try to do as much like reading on like their story and their history. And usually for a guy like Otto, who's been in the league, like nine, 10 years, like it's fairly easy. Like you have lots of profiles written about you and and maybe it's just, I didn't do enough research, but there wasn't actually that much to be found. So I really just wanted to get to know him a little bit better. Um, Comes from a family um, in a small town that, you know, both on his mom's side and his dad's side, a rich tradition of playing basketball, um, I, again, over the course of the, the research, and I think I might have mentioned in the interview itself, is just like there's like state championship, um, and I th- I believe like I don't know his dad won it, his mom won it, his cousins won it, his like uncles won it, like it's like it's it's a real thing. So like you know, um, you know he comes from that rich basketball background, and um, yeah, I mean I, I think he's had a really interesting career. I think um, you know obviously going third overall and then getting paid the max and, and being part of a playoff team with the Wizards, like, you know, that felt kind of like, okay, there was this trajectory that him to go on. 
Um, but then it kind of went a different way as well, right? And we've seen him sort of bounce around the last couple of years. And obviously, he was able to join the Warriors last year, took the minimum to do so, and uh, obviously it paid off. I mean, winning the championship is is obviously the the whole goal of at what everyone plays for, really. But it also set him up nicely for the second contract here with the Raptors, where I think he's going to be very focused on doing exactly that once again, right? Um, it was interesting because at the end of the um, the press conference interview where he's sitting at the podium talking to the, the rest of the media, and it's like, you know, the last thing he talked about was, you know, I believe this team is going to win the championship or, or at least go back to the finals, something like that, right? Um, and then at the end of this interview, he says the same thing. So I think, you know, look, it's probably something that would be a few steps ahead of what most people will expect out of this team, but I think he sees the potential here. And I think most importantly, he's just a, a smart vet who really understands, like, what his role is going to be and what his um, what his goal is in coming to Toronto. I think obviously something he mentioned about – we didn't talk about it in this interview, but that's because he had just mentioned it previously at the podium was that, you know, um, his wife is from Toronto and he spent some summers here in Toronto. So he knows the vibe. I think that was one of the reasons why he chose to come here. I think it's just easier when you can sort of figure out all the family stuff, um, being local and all that stuff. And um, yeah, it, and, and yeah, I think even from the bigger perspective, I think as much as um, you think about the Raptors and their history and free agency, like it's not good. It's really, really not good. So I'm not trying to say that uh, signing Otto Porter was is something like landing a Kevin Durant or something like that in free agency with all due respect. But I think it's significant. It, it reminds me of when the Raptors were able to get uh, C.J. Miles to come on a three-year deal. Another veteran big who was able to obviously play the style of play but also provide three-point shooting, provide leadership for a young group. And, yeah, I think, I think it's going to be something that fits really nicely. Uh, the good thing is Otto is definitely defensively uh, more advanced than CJ was and also much younger than what, what CJ was. So I'm I'm really um, excited to see him join the team. Uh, just another like couple of background things from the interview itself. So, um, yeah, he just he just seemed like a really personal dude. I don't know. He had a good vibe, good aura about him. Pretty happy, obviously, obviously introducing himself to a, to a new city. And obviously two weeks after winning a championship, I feel like uh, you probably still have a permanent smile on your face just from that alone. But, yeah, I mean, it just yesterday I was um, – I was wearing a Liverpool kit um, because I wanted to and also because I was on my way to playing soccer like right after the interview. And he saw the jersey and he was like, oh, you know, uh, you're a big footy fan. And the kind of strike up a conversation immediately, you know, told me he was a Barcelona fan, which is going to be going to be fun. Um, he should get along with Christian Coloco in that regard. I think both of those guys are on record as Barcelona fans. And, um, you know, he's just he was just a really personal dude. And obviously after the interview, um, you know, he walked out of the uh, the office that we we did it in, and he walked into the uh, the, the court itself at the practice facility. And like one thing he immediately no- noticed was that the Raptors also use the uh, the Noah shooting system, which uh, the Warriors had actually employed this past season. Um, now, if you don't know, the Noah sh- uh, tracking system is basically a set of cameras that they install. Um, I think uh, above the uh, the backboard, and the whole idea is to get tracking information on things like your shot arc uh, and the depth of your shot. Um, And it essentially, like, I mean, it's very nerdy stuff, but it gives you, like, real feedback and real data on, like, how your your shot is doing. And I I read some stories about how the Warriors had actually used it this year, and it helped out with even guys like Stephen Clay. Um, And the reason it was familiar was because the Raptors have been using it for quite a while. The first time I heard about the Raptors using this, this technology was in the championship year in 2019, uh, when Kyle Lowry was going through a shooting slump. 
and the story goes that the Raptors uh, noticed that, you know, because of the system, they're able to track that, oh, the, the arc of his shot, the, the angle or whatever, was uh, was more acute than what it was supposed to be. Um, I think the ideal angle is like 45 degrees going into the basket. Again, this is the most nerdy stuff that you don't really need to hear about, but it was like noticeable how much less uh, arc was on his shot, right? And so they were able to use this technology um, and help Kyle get out of the slump by sort of fixing a couple of things in his jump shot. And so, yeah, no, like literally Otto walked into the gym and that was the first thing he noticed. And I kind of, ta- I kind of, you know, asked, you know, did Jama take that from us? Uh, over to Golden State because obviously Jama was a longtime assistant here with the Raptors, and then he joined the Warriors. By the way, congrats to Jama. It seems like he's been promoted from uh, back bench to the front of the bench. Obviously, the Warriors lost uh, Mike Brown uh, as an assistant coach to the Sacramento Kings. Um, but yeah, and then Otto was like, maybe honestly, it's it's, it's quite possible. Um, but in any case, it, it was just it was good to speak to Otto. Uh, get to be around him, get to know him a little bit. And, uh, yeah, look forward to sort of seeing what he does this season. I think um, it's another really great signing and fits the style of play and uh, also just seems like a good dude to talk to, which I think is, for us at the media at least, that's uh, fairly important. So before we go to break and honestly probably come back with a little bit of KD talk, honestly to me, I said at the end of yesterday's show that uh, I was curious to see if people were a little tired of KD trade speculation and then i thought about myself and i asked myself that question and i was like i'm a little bit tired of it as well so we might come back with just a little bit of kd talk and actually talk raptors uh past that but before we go i wanted to tell you that if you are in the toronto area or want to watch some basketball this week you can catch the final three days of the inaugural global jam showcase the first of its kind an international event at the madame athletic center right here in downtown toronto you can watch all the action of the men's and women's under 23 basketball showcase starting at 11 a.m. Eastern. Ben Shulman and Javon Shepard serve you the daytime coverage all week. And tonight you can watch the final round robin games starting with the women at 6 p.m. Eastern between France and Canada on Sportsnet 1 and 360, followed by the men's game between Italy and Canada on Sportsnet 360 with Matt Devlin, Amy Otterbert uh, delivering the call. Uh, if you want tickets, you can visit basketball.ca slash global jam. Now for me, that was the ad read I was given. Uh, now, for me, I actually went to the game yesterday. And, um, you know, because I was playing soccer and whatever, I just couldn't make it uh, for the first game. I really wanted to see um, the women's game between Canada and USA. Canada won that one, by the way. Um, but I was able to make it for 9 o'clock for the men's game. And, you know, that was the same matchup, Canada versus USA. Uh, and it was really, really fun. It was a really great atmosphere. First off, like, I thought the vibe of it was just a lot stronger than it was on day one. Um, there was, you know, very well attended. And it was one of those things where if you're just like a, a, a true hoop head, you know, like this is kind of the event for you. You get to see a lot of up-and-coming young talent. I think Marcus Carr has been uh, very, very impressive over the first uh, two days here on the men's side, um, closing out the game um, for Team Canada, both against Brazil and against uh, the USA. Yesterday he had this great play at the end of the game where – um, you know, Canada was down uh, and, the, you know, they got back into the game with a, with a very clutch steal and they were right back to a one-possession game and they were actually leading by one with about a minute left and Marcus ca- calls out for an ISO and with a quick crossover, gets separation, a pull-up three to, 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 to push the lead up to four and it was just such a hype moment. I got to say the, the arena was really, really into it. But no, it was also one of those things where it's like, so if you're obviously a true hoop head, you're definitely just going to go for that alone. But it was also just really cool to see, like, the Canadian basketball, like, um, 
community come together and come out for an event. Like uh, right away as I got there, Bobby Webster's <laughs> downstairs at Mattamy on the first floor. The game's on the third, the court's on the third floor. Um, let's get in. I see Bobby immediately, you know, say what up. Uh, obviously, Bobby's a friend of the program, um, has been on the show before, and also just, you know, uh, honestly, from Asian to Asian, there's already a connection there. But whatever. I see Bobby. I, I dap him up. I was like, you know, so what's going on? You guys trading for KD or not? Not going to say what happened, but, you know, uh, yeah. And then <laughs> and then Alex came over because <laughs> I was with Alex last night at the event. And uh, Alex came over to uh, and came up to Bobby and was like, yo, I'll give you $500 if you show me your phone right now. And Bobby was like, what are you talking about? And literally disappeared. <laughs> He, like, walked away from us. <laughs> and we didn't see him the rest of the night after that. But, um, no, it was really fun to see, though. Like, just, even jokes aside, like, it was just, like, Bobby was there. Masai was there. Scotty Barnes pulled up, sat courtside. Uh, Shea Gilgis Alexander was there. Jalen Harris was there. Like, it was just, like, a great kind of, like, um, environment. Like, if you really, really kind of enjoy being around, not just, like, like celebrities and stars. Obviously, like, that's one thing. But... I think it's just like it was a great environment for hoops, you know, like and uh, the game itself was actually really competitive. Um, you know, it was really back and forth. I, you could definitely tell that this is an under 23 team because there is quite a bit of mistakes going on both ends of the floor. But uh, yeah, Canada has pulled out the win both times now. So Canada, both on the men's and the women's side, is 2-0 right now um, heading into the last day of round robin play. And uh, yeah, if you can get tickets, go ahead and get tickets. Seriously, it's a really fun time. I really enjoyed it. Uh, and uh, yeah, I'll probably be back. Um, over the weekend to sort of see the final results of uh, what happened. So um, we're going to take a quick break. I'm your host, Wimu. You've been listening to The Raptor Show on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. The smartest takes on the biggest stories in sports. The Fan Drive Time with Ben Ennis and Stephen Brunt. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptor Show on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. I'm your host, Mim Lou. Joining me for the second segment is Iman Adan from the Basketball News, from Dishes and Dimes, from Yahoo Sports Canada. Iman, you're you're everywhere these days. You were in Slam too, right? I was, yeah. Yeah. All right. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank on, you for having me. Yeah, Thank con- you. Congratulations on all your success. And um, yeah, I, you look, listen. I think part of the reason I wanted to bring you on was because I know I could talk like anything Raptors with you. And, <laughs> you know, I'd just been talking about KD for like five, six days in a row now. And honestly, nothing has even happened. <laughs> There's a point where I was like, I, I might have reached KD fatigue. So I actually wanted to check on you. Do you want to talk about KD? Because if you do, we, we can do that for a little bit. But uh, I just wanted to check in on, on your level of KD fatigue. Are you at, are you, are you there? Um, I've learned that I might have like, it's like an endless pit. Like, I don't know where okay. the bottom is. I should be fatigued by now, but I just twist myself into a pretzel. I think what I keep coming back to with KD is if there's no easy answer. There's no correct answer. You can try and solve the problem. It's not a math equation. Mm. You are not going to get to the correct answer. So it's, it's never ending because no one is right. <laughs> no matter what you say or do, it's just really tough. Yeah. Is there has is there a, a KD angle or thought or argument that you would like to put out there that you haven't seen out there just yet or heard out there yet? Huh, that's really tough. I've been I've honestly been sitting with this KD stuff for so long, and I feel like 
everyone has kind of touched on both sides, right? Mm -hmm. Scotty is is so young. Kevin Durant, 34, only played 95 games in the last three years. It's really hard to do a swap like that. I think that everyone's kind of touched on the points. And the reason why you find everyone sort of at an impasse is because it's really difficult to decide where to go. So we can keep talking about it. I don't know that there's anything new to truly bring up here. It'll be interesting to see what the Nets do. I think this is probably the most fascinating player trade demand that we've had in recent years, considering we've had so many. Mm. Just because Kevin Durant, the caliber player that he is, he's a top five player in the league, right? Yep. But the Nets have no leverage in this situation in the way that you would see most teams have leverage when trading for a guy like this. He's the one who demanded the trade. He wants out. Mm -hmm. But he's also 35, 34 and has played 95 games in the last three years. So teams are not tripping over themselves to really trade for him. If this is Kevin Durant four years ago, I think we would have seen everyone sell the farm. But right now, it's like, it's slim pickings. And I find that to be really fascinating for a player of Kevin Durant's caliber. I just don't think we've ever seen that. Yeah, definitely. Um, what was I going to say is just, I think part of the difficulty with this conversation is, number one, we don't know what the Raptors have offered. So we're all just mm -hmm. like speculating, right? If we had some sort of report, I think people can sort of debate the merits of whatever is being put out there. That hasn't happened yet anywhere. So other than we know Scotty Barnes is not on in, on the table. Um, the second thing is we don't know what the other teams have offered. I mean, we kind of have a rough estimation of like what Miami could theoretically offer or what Phoenix could right. theoretically offer. But again, we don't know what these specific offers are. Um, and we don't know any like specific movement on that front. Hopefully, Aiton just signs that uh, off a contract offer from Indiana, or hopefully, Indiana like <laughs> offers that to him because that would really uh, throw a wrench into the whole situation. But in any <laughs> case, we don't have any tangible information on that end. And then all you really hear from the Nets is just we want everything, right? Yeah. And like we want everything could mean we want uh, uh, under twenty five All Star, and we want uh, multiple picks, and we want five or six picks, and all this other stuff. Or you can hear reports where I, I don't even know where this one came from, but I was like, oh, they wanted, they asked for Kat and, uh, and, 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 and Anthony Edwards. And it's like, are I'm you sick. kidding me? Like, what are you on? Like, <laughs> why did you even waste any time in your life asking the for Timberwolves this? The Timberwolves have happen, no picks, man. right? Like, the Timberwolves also have no picks to give you. They just yeah. did that. Um, also, like, can you imagine Kevin Durant and Rudy Gobert on a team together? Just the most talked about in the weirdest way, stars oh, of the league. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, no, it like the Nets are operating from the standpoint where they they assume that they have all of the leverage, and on paper they should theoretically have all of the leverage, but you only have as much leverage as teams are willing to give you, right? Like when Masai was trading Carmelo Anthony, mm -hmm. he had no leverage. Carmelo was expiring. Carmelo said New York and only New York, yep. but Masai was able to create leverage by pitting the Nets and the Knicks against each other, and the Knicks were so desperate that they were willing to sell the farm to get Carmelo Anthony. Right now, there's no team that's willing to do that because of Kevin Durant's age, because of Kevin Durant's injury history, and because Kevin Durant just signed a four-year contract a few months ago and is already demanding a trade out. He's kind of forced the Nets' hands to the point where whatever leverage you would assume they have is gone, so they can continue to ask for the sun, the moon, and the stars. I just don't see a team offering that. Yeah, and that's the thing, too. I mean, look, not having leverage doesn't necessarily mean you don't have, like, control of the situation. I mean, I don't think they have Ooh. that much control of the situation, but obviously, ultimately, it's up to them. They have a player under contract for four years. Players, I guess teams definitely do want them. They're just not putting their best offers on the table right now for whatever reason. 
and um, we'll see how the situation goes. But I mean, I, I, I mean, ultimately, it will still be Brooklyn's choice as to what happens. But uh, yeah, you're right. They really have. A, they're gonna have a hard time creating leverage, which is in negotiations is gonna be um, very, very important. But you know, listen, yeah. I, I'm, I've reached my KD trade talk. That nothing happened today. I, I'm, I don't care about the odds moving ten points one way or the other. Or I don't. I mean, like, I, I, what I care about right now is does Aiden sign somewhere else? If Aiden signs somewhere else, Raptors are in the driver's seat. Yeah, and then I'm like. Is Ben Simmons moved at some point, which would open up other players to get traded to them? Uh, yeah. And also, if there are actual reports on what happens. But right now, we don't see anything. I'm sure we'll hear so much more of it in Summer League because obviously all the executives will be down there. Uh, Bobby Masai, though, were uh, at uh, Mattamy last night. So uh, no uh, no updates to, to pass along from that front. But anyway, look, listen, Iman, I want to talk about something else. I guess maybe in relation to KD, but just like something where KD talked about where he tweeted during the finals, I believe, or maybe sometime during the playoffs. It's just, it's a wings league, right? And when you look at the Nets, for example, that was a team that was deficient on wings. Um, and when you look at the Raptors, that's a team that's entirely made up of wings. In fact, I think if they brought KD in, it would only just further the meme for the Raptors in terms of what style of player they sort of come about. But then I also think about it, I was like, okay, so at what point did the Raptors become like all in on the strategy of sort of getting these six, nine guys? Because... To me, the ironic thing is, for the longest time when we're watching the Kyle and Damar years, the one thing I wish we had was a 6'9 wing defender, which is now the whole team is 6'9 wing defenders. So, yeah, can you just trace through the Raptors' history a little bit? And maybe we'll get to the origin of when the Raptors came about this sort of team-building strategy. I think that this was Masai's always planned. Like, I was looking at it, like, who is the first player that Masai ever drafted as a Raptor? It was Bruno Caboclo. Still in summer league, by the way. I think Bruno might have played more summer league seasons than any other player in history. <laughs> so, like, I, I honestly, like, I, I was sort of looking through this. I completely agree. The Raptors, that's kind of been the one area where they've been deficient for so long. Um, and what Masai Jury did really well, I think, in, in constructing his team is he was very patient with the DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry teams and decided he was going to build around them. Here's the thing. Six, nine wings? Rare. <laughs> like, it's not like you could just go out there and get them. It looks that way if you're a Raptors fan because we have so many on the team but they're rare to get they're hard to get and we're also seeing more and more come about now right like we're starting to see the change there weren't the like the Anthony Davis is is a unicorn he's unique in that way mm -hmm. um not saying that he's not today but we have a bunch of six nine guys learning to handle the ball learning to shoot because what ended up happening was Bigger guys became kind of obsolete in the NBA when the NBA decided small ball is the way to go. You're mm -hmm. slow, you're big, you are hurting us. And if we just play five out and we play with pace, we play with space, you're kind of going to be the odd man out. So bigger guys started to fall by the wayside in the NBA. We saw that with like the all-star game taking away centers <laughs> and like just oh. making it three forwards. And we started to see changes. And then what ended up happening was Bigger guys got into the skill shop and said, all right, let me drop the weight. It's not about banging down low. Mm -hmm. Even guys like Dwight Howard and, you know, just like centers that we think about that dominated the mid-2000s have lost a ton of weight in order to stay in the NBA and in order to keep pace with the change of the game. And bigger wings became the, the premium in the league. But we know that Masai has always kind of had this vision because Bruno Caboclo was a guy that he drafted 
Giannis Antetokounmpo was the guy that he wanted to go after. Even guys like DeLon Wright, who are just bigger guards, right? Mm -hmm. For a guard, the wingspan that he has, the size that he has, it seems like Masai was always like, hey, length is something I can't teach. Height is something I can't teach. Shooting, ball handling, all of that other stuff, we trust in our development team to, to bring along. And so to me, this seems like this was always Masai's vision. And if you can throw in a team with a bunch of Giannis's and a bunch of Anthony Davis's and a bunch of Kevin Durant's, you do it. <laughs> and the Raptors are trying their best to field a team that looks like that. Yeah, I, I, right now, for sure, that is definitely where they've arrived at, right? We, we get to the point where it's like 10 or 11 guys on the team are essentially six. Like, basically, there's like 10 small forwards on the team when you really think about it. <laughs> um, now, I, I think... The part that was interesting to me was because the previous core, and the core for a long time, I would say probably from 2014 to 2018, so that's five seasons, yeah. was Kyle, DeMar, and JV. None of those guys were 6'9 wings. In fact, they were like, that's exactly what they were missing for a while until OG got drafted and whatever. He was still a rookie, and, and then, of course, the Kawhi trade happened. But that was the core they kind of had around the team. And, you know, I, I saw. I guess you started to see some of the deficiencies with that core. I think there was obviously a bit of a talent gap there. They were also a little bit too young. Um, you know, I thought JV struggled defensively in the playoffs. DeMar definitely struggled defensively in the playoffs. Yeah. Kyle's offense, like his own individual scoring, would usually struggle to translate at the highest level. He did other stuff that was at a high level, but the scoring would definitely tail off a little bit. Um, I also think they're like... That's interesting. Are you, are you saying that... Masai looked at the deficiencies of, of the roster, the core that they had there, and said, well, this is clearly what they're missing because mm -hmm. there are going to be limitations to having JV and yes. DeMar Rose on the defensive end, Kyle Lowry on the offensive end, just not being able to get a shot off <laughs> multiple times. We saw it when he gets trapped there and said, okay, well, the only way to sort of mitigate that is by playing big wings. I think that's really fascinating. I think I came from it with, like, this was always Masai's plan and, like, these were three guys that he adopted. He did not draft any of them. He didn't trade for any of them. That's he true. just adopted yeah. them and just wanted to let them run, um, which I, I appreciated him doing because, like, we saw it. That once they traded away Rudy, Go Rudy Gobert, once they traded away Rudy Gay and let the team go, they, they were good. And so mm -hmm. he, he gave them the sort of runtime. But I kind of like that idea of, like, okay, these are the deficiencies of our three guys, and this is what we need to mitigate that, and bringing in big wings is a way to do it. Yeah, yeah. And I also think that, the way Masai has built, like, I really do think that he has a defensive first philosophy. I think, like, you know, sure. if you were to sort of evaluate his his moves and his, like, um, and, and not just him, obviously, the rest of the front office as well, but it's, you know, colloquial, we're just going to say Masai. Um, they lead more defensive than offensive, usually. Like, usually, right? That's, that's usually the way it kind of goes for them. And um, I think that's where probably to me, like, maybe league-wide, this trend towards, like, we want everyone to be a wing. Um, I think that has actually more to do with the defensive upside than the offensive mm -hmm. upside of it. And I think that my theory with this is, you know, so first off, pick and rolls became like so, so popular and so, so effective when the Suns yeah. were really starting to do them. Not saying people didn't run pick and rolls for like decades before that. Of course they did, right? But the idea of having a really skilled point guard who could score three levels like Steve Nash, a really effective uh, roller in Amari Stoudemire who could also pick and pop, you also had shooters in the corners, that Mike D'Antoni yeah. offense. It was just so good. And the whole league was essentially going to adopt that strategy. And they kind of have since then. That's that's a very standard offense these days as compared to back then, which was revolutionary. But, you know, it, they started developing defenses specifically to try to counter that strategy. 
there was like a lot of like dropping and icing yeah. and things like that, getting on, you know, forcing guys into the mid range. And and then it got to the point where people discovered, oh yeah, three point shots are just, you know, like 50% more valuable than two point shots when you make yeah. them. So we're going to shoot a whole bunch of threes. And it just became this thing where teams had such a hard time guarding pick and rolls because the fact that if you were able to stretch the floor out and either with the pull-up three-point shooter or just have lots of catch-and-shoot three-point shooters and some sort of rim presence where you threaten the basket and you kick it back out, it just became so hard for teams to guard. And eventually, I think the only solution teams have effectively had for that is switching. Maybe some zone as well, but mostly for the most part, switching. And that's where it's like, I think 6-9 is probably the best size to play a switching defense. Is 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 that sort of how you see it as well in terms of just like there's this defensive uh, incentive to sort of build your whole team like this. And that's why teams percent. are aspiring that way. A thousand percent. And that's when we saw it sort of be copied, right? Like the, the seven seconds or less suns were revolutionary in 2007, but we slowly started to see it be adopted until it became – a, a clear thing defensively. And I look at sort of Draymond Green. I know they weren't sort of the, the first iteration of small ball, but they were kind of it at like the death lineup was small ball revolutionized in a way. And it's because of Draymond Green. I've, an, another example is obviously Shane Battier with the Miami Heat and then yep. running that with Chris Bosch at the five. It was a thousand percent defensively and being able to switch everything on defense. And you need to have so it, it starts with it starts with a couple of things. I agree with you that defensively is where everybody starts to copy things because well, what's the cliche saying? Defense wins championships. We saw it be successful. We saw Miami win championships with their small ball five. We saw um, the, the Golden State Warriors win it with their death lineup. And for the Raptors, that's where they're coming at this as well. The ability to switch everything, the ability to just have long arms. Even this season, when everyone's sort of watching this Raptors team and saying, why is the defense struggling as it does? It was because Nick Nurse is like, I'm not going to switch up the defensive principles because guys can't keep up. Yeah. They're going to catch on. And we saw that towards the latter end of the season. And we're lo- when we're looking at the Boston Celtics, the reason why I look at Boston is kind of what the Raptors should aspire to be is because they do have those big wings. They do have a switchable defense. And that's what you need to play in the modern NBA. Mm-hmm. It's what stops. It, 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 it's the Golden State Warriors, the Boston Celtics, and hopefully the Toronto Raptors sort of building up in this iteration. I completely agree with everything you're saying. Plug in my piece from before where I talk about this specifically. And I talk about, for one, Anthony Davis um, playing the five for the Lakers and being able to win a championship that way because the Lakers are able to switch everything against a team like the Houston Rockets who wanted to go small. And the Lakers were like, hold up, we can do that, but we can do that bigger and we can do that better, which is exactly what the Raptors are right. sort of adopting. Is like, not only can we switch everything, but we can be longer and bigger at all four or five positions. And it, it just starts with your big wings. You need to have the length. You need to have the size. You need to have the versatility. Um, and it, it's about creating havoc on the defensive end more than anything. It's, mm-hmm. about, it's about shrinking the gaps, right? Because that's, that's what the five-out offense is trying to do is trying to create more space. And with length, you are taking all of that away. Right. And you're wreaking absolute havoc with your arms and your leg span. And just it, it, it's, it's what small ball is about. It's what the the next iteration of basketball will be. I think the Raptors are on the forefront of this. I think the Cavs are doing something very similar. Mm -hmm. They're just doing it with fives as opposed to with big wings. But Kevin Durant is entirely right that this is what the future of basketball is for sure. Yeah, the future of basketball is Kevin Durant. It's essentially what Kevin Durant was saying. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, and, and, you know, I think the the interesting thing you mentioned there too is like 
the, the specific idea that you want to create havoc. Obviously, every defense is designed to create stops. But I think there's something to do with the idea that, obviously, basketball being a continuous game. This is something that happens a lot in soccer, for example, where you build your defense in particular to potentially build your offense from because the game obviously yeah. flows, right? Um, yeah. So, yes, you can build a defense that maybe gets you the most stops and most defensive rebounds, and, you know, you kind of, like, focus on getting that stop. But there's also the value of that stop. How valuable is it now that you have the ball and you're going the other way? And I think that's where the havoc thing I think the Raptors could probably be a little bit more shut down defensive if they wanted to, mm. but they play extra aggressive because they know that there's an added value in the fact that, okay, maybe I'm a little bit worse defensively, but because of the way I play, because I keep turning you over in open play, then I'm going to have a huge advantage offensively. There's a bigger offensive advantage to playing off the way they want to play. But honestly, it's just really interesting to see because I think the next step is now, and I think you mentioned this before too in your piece, it's just like, and I keep seeing it now. It's just like the next generation is just going to be the same thing. It's going to be like... Chet Holmgren. Yeah, exactly. They're going to try to essentially make this with like seven-footers instead of six-nine yeah. guys. Yeah. You know? And if, that's if, the if scary thing. If you get bigger, you get better, right? Like taking what guards do and, and making your wings do it is just going to be better. Like mm. uh, and, and no disrespect to smaller guys, but... Bigger guys can just shoot, can pass over anyone, can shoot over anyone. We see how difficult it is when you're undersized and you're trying to get your shot up against people. Um, just focusing on the offensive end for a quick second here. When you have the length and the size to be able to get your shot off or to be able to see through passing lanes, there's a reason why Nikola Jokic is one of the deadliest, the deadliest passer in the NBA point blank period. He can see over anything and everyone, mm. right? It becomes impossible to stop these guys. And so if you can add in your ball handling if you can add in the shooting on the offensive end and what the Raptors are sort of believing is I can't teach size I can't teach wingspan mm -hmm. but I can teach shooting and I can teach ball handling and so the offense will come the focus is specifically on the defensive end the focus is specifically on creating havoc the focus is specifically on just blitzing and and trapping and just moving and cutting and creating or sorry clogging the space really and taking things away and you're going to have nights where that looks terrible you're going to have nights where you're giving up a bunch of corner threes mm -hmm. you're going to have nights where you're worried about your rim protection but on nights where it flowed we saw how stifling that defense can be and how it seems like they're everywhere and it seems like there's a sixth man on the court sometimes because yeah. of that extra length and that well, extra size nick nurse is on um, the court sometimes <laughs> yeah, true. Sometimes there is an actual sixth man. Um, but I, I was watching um, just Chet's summer league game. I don't know if you saw it. And I just saw clips of it. I didn't get to see the whole thing. Iman, you, you and I both understand this. Uh, for a man like Chet with his, um, let's say, profile, um, if he's any remote, anything remotely good, you will see it. And everyone will yeah, fall in love with it. We'll, we'll leave it at that. But people know point, where it's at. Holmgren. Um, it's a very good point. But what, what I sort of saw from him, and it's really mm -hmm. interesting. I look at someone like Chris Boucher, who just blocks every single shot imaginable, right? Like, yep. he, he's got... But sometimes you watch Chris and he's like, he's just blocking it into the stands. He's just blocking it four feet into the crowd. Watching a guy like Chet have the composure to block it, but tip it towards himself and then initiate the fast break on his own and be able to get the pass off. Mm -hmm. um, it's like, this is the future of the NBA. This is entirely what we're watching. How do we see a guy at that size? Obviously, he, he's, he's got the interior presence that you want from someone of his size. He's got the shot blocking. He's got the rim protection. But the ability to tip it towards himself and create a one-man fast break um, and just run the court on his own 
that's just not something that we would have saw 10 years ago. That's not something that we would have even seen five years ago. And it's the future of the NBA. And what the Raptors are saying is we want to be on the forefront of that. Yeah. We want to have a team that doesn't just have one guy who can do that, but have multiple guys who can do that. And the, the main purpose of building a team like this is, yes, defensively, it's stifling. And offensively, we can talk about their limitations, but they want to get out and they want to run in transition. And also, on the offensive end, they want to exploit the mismatches that they're going to have by playing a bunch of 6'9 guys, right? Yeah. We see the attention that guys like Fred and Pascal demand. That means that OG's either going to be open for a shot, and we know that he's a knockdown three-point shooter, or he might be down low, or Scotty might be down low, and they're going to have a mismatch down there. And OG and Scotty are both excellent post players. There's going to be someone who gets to exploit a mismatch when you're playing an all 6-9 lineup. So not only are the Raptors creating havoc on the defensive end, but if they're all healthy, which is something that we didn't really get to see, yeah. there should always be a mismatch on the court for them to exploit. And that's what the 6-9 lineup allows you to do as well. It allows you to exploit mismatches on the offensive end and just clog everything up on the offensive end. And uh, someone like Fred Van Vliet, who is not technically a part of the 6'9 brigade, plays so well into this, right? Like, he's kind of the perfect guard that you want to have because, mm -hmm. for one, he can play off ball. Um, he's an excellent shooter. What did he shoot, like, 40% on 10 attempts a game when he was healthy for the team? Like, that's yep. phenomenal. But he can also do things that, when you think of undersized guards, you don't really think of them having the ability to do, like set screens and play and play that inverted pick and roll, which just allows the Raptors to open up so much because of Pascal is such a great ball handler and such like Pascal can initiate the pick and roll and Fred can be your he could just pop out and there you go you get your shots. So it just allows the Raptors to play a completely different look. That's something that Stephen Curry is also really adept at right, is right. playing that inverted pick and roll which allows the team to sort of operate. So right now we're looking at an NBA where guards can kind of play a big man role and bigs can kind of play a guard role and Fred of course can guard up positions as well so he play slots in perfectly in the Raptors all out lineups. So it's just it's just fun to watch this team grow. So even if we don't get Kevin Durant who fits in perfectly division six nine, this team will still be really special. That's well said. This is a weird team and I love it. I can't <laughs> wait to see them again. Thank you, Amon, for joining us. That does it for us today. I'm your host, Will and you've been listening to the Raptor Show on Smart Stuff. I'm Nanya the fan. Uh thanks once again to Otto Porter Jr. and to Iman Adon, our board producer Derek Brindale, Jennifer Olin for helping us with the YouTube stream. I'll be back tomorrow with Alex.